It's the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Welcome to our second show of May 2022. We are coming off a massive weekend for racing, and we're getting ready for another big weekend of racing. You know, it's it's because it's May, you know, the best month for racing. Coming up this week is the NASCAR All-Star Race, Indianapolis 500 Qualifications, Formula One Spanish Grand Prix, and Australian Supercars return to Winton Motor Raceway for the first time since 2019. And we'll be wrapping up the GMR Grand Prix, NASCAR's Weekend in Camp. Now, hi, And get ready, because Rob's Racing Report is starting right now. And I'm Rob Peters, and joining me from Charlotte is Josh Roller. I was in Indianapolis. I'm still in Indianapolis. And I'm about to read you some news that happened today. It's Rob's Racing Report starting off with some Formula One. Uh, Williams will run Formula E champion and Mercedes young driver Nick DeVries in free practice one at the upcoming Spanish Grand Prix, uh, fulfilling the first two of two mandatory rookie driver outings this season. Um, And it's interesting that this would happen because, lo and behold, Nick DeVries has apparently been linked to Williams as a possible replacement for Nicholas Latifi. Let's go. Pretty big, because like I said uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, on this show, there was some rumors that DeVries was probably heading for the WEC and uh, Toyota Gazoo Racing. Um, But now it looks like Williams is giving him a test. He's let they're letting him run in the free practice one, giving him an opportunity to run an, an F1 weekend, which is good, something he's deserved for a long time. Yep. And, uh, being able for him to be behind an F1 car, hopefully, if he if he performs and produces, maybe I I, I don't think they're gonna let Latifi go originally. I think from what I've heard, from what I understand, is they fully intend to let Latifi finish out this year, and Agreed. then yeah. after that, I think it's it. Because Latifi, regardless of how he's done, he's brought a lot of money to Williams when they needed it. Right. And I think out of respect, they're just going to let him finish out the season and then be like, hey, we appreciate you. We appreciate everything you've done. We're going to go in a different direction and probably get DeVries. I don't know. Maybe DeVries. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. If this shows anything, uh, it, it could be It could be good. Um Next piece of news here, IndyStar's Nathan Brown reports that the relationship between Formula One and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway remains on good terms, but the likelihood of Formula One returning to the racing capital of the world is very slim. Roger Penske and Doug Bowles cite the economics of hosting a Formula One event uh, along with the glut of U.S. races on the F1 calendar as reasons why any F1 return to IMS is unlikely. Bowles and Penske, along with the FIA and Liberty Media, expressed interest in holding a Grand Prix at IMS again, but will only do so if it makes economical and logistical sense for both parties. I think one thing that could happen here is, you know, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is going to run for three races. They got a three-year deal. I think... If that race is a success, one of the things that they could do is do that one every other year and go to Indianapolis every other year because obviously have that's that's going to be a big disruption for traffic in in Las Vegas and maybe they want to, you know, not wear out the welcome too quickly and have it be like a little more of a hey, this is a once in every two year show type thing and in uh, in Vegas and maybe Indy picks up the races in between. Um that's kind of like I, a dream scenario. That's really that's a that's 100% speculation. 
I I don't know if that's on the hor- the the thing is the thing the article is is really great if if you haven't read it yet it's for subscribers so I I can't really give away too much and I don't want to give away too much because I I you know I work for Indie Indie Star too and I was at IMS this weekend doing work for them uh, and and I loved it I loved every opportunity so you know if you want to support me and Nathan you know go ahead give give us a, a little bit of money um i guess but i so i, I don't want to like reveal too much about the story but it was it was very uh, it was very interesting because there was a lot of different it includes a lot of different perspectives on it you know you have mario andretti's oh, perspective you have gunther steiner's perspective you have lewis hamilton's perspective you have sebastian vettel's perspective you have roger penske's perspective you have doug bowl's perspective you have a there's a lot of different opinions that are thrown into this article and it's really interesting to kind of see where everybody lies on this idea you know some people think "Mm, it's not possible some people are like ah it'd be cool but you know it'd have to make sense and i think that's really what the long the the main point of the story is it just has to make sense and right now it doesn't no no, united states can't support four races Absolutely not. There's no possible way. It, there's no possible way they would want to oversaturate the market anymore. Because let's not forget, you also have races in Canada and Mexico City that are, yeah. relatively City speaking, not... not far from the U.S. borders. Well, so... Mexico City is pretty far away. I think it's farther away than you think, but and it's Uh-oh. also on, on maybe on its last legs and maybe won't be around for too many more years. I hope that's not the case. It's a great racetrack. Great racetrack. It's, it's all about promoters and other things. So I know, but they the, the FIA version of that the the current version of that racetrack is is incredible. If they the stadium section is awesome. If they could pick up that racetrack and take it, it's like Turkey. If they could pick up that racetrack and take it anywhere else in the world that was just a better place. It'd be fantastic. I, I guess. I mean, I you know there. That's the thing. Though. I don't want to get off topic, but. Mexican fans deserve a race. They do deserve a race. The Mexican fans deserve a race. I'm not going to argue that, no. There's no doubt that they're very passionate. I mean, you look at how many fans that racetrack draws with F Formula Mm -hmm. E and Formula One. Mm -hmm. It drew a lot with NASCAR as well. There's a lot of passionate motorsports fans in Mexico, and it's unfair to them to constantly worry and wonder if they're going to have an f1 grand prix and have to beg indycar to come back in some form either we need to build another mexican racetrack that's in a better location and run by better people or we just need to figure out a way to make the autodromo hermanos rodriguez uh, you know work do something make do something to make it economic anyway that's not what we're talking about we're talking about indianapolis um and and the questions resume regarding uh, an f1 uh return to indianapolis there was one interesting tidbit that i will share that was interesting was that um i guess f1 and ims were in talks pre- that that got pretty far i guess in 2020 and 2021 i, I they didn't get far enough to actually happen but they got far enough for the the them to have actually been a consideration where we could have actually seen like f1 return to ims you know at in either 2020 or 2021 um obviously like i said the conversations did not get far enough but they did get far which which was interesting so it does show that like i alluded to earlier that they are on good terms and you know if 
something is there, it'll be there. And and so we're not closing the book entirely, but you know, we're 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 putting it on a shelf with a bookmark in there. You know what I mean? Right. All right. Moving on here into Formula E. This was big news that broke this past weekend. Uh, this past week, McLaren is set to purchase Mercedes Formula E team and will join the Formula E World Championship beginning in the 2022-2023 season. So this is big. I was worried with the ritual of Mercedes that it would hurt the uh, Formula E involvement from other teams, but this is a great thing to hear that McLaren has has committed to to this series to formula e and they they see the value in electric car racing especially with the gen 3 regulations uh this is great i'm happy to see it i'm curious to see who their drivers will be if nick devries doesn't get to to williams and formula one i hope mclaren is giving him a call too so i would hope so too or you know this i i wonder since felix rosenquist has been linked to formula e i wonder if mclaren could say okay well you might not do well in indycar but your chap tops are a lot better in formula e why don't you help us get this at formula we'll, we'll keep you on we'll keep we'll just move you to this form kind of like michael andretti did with oliver askew where he was like i like you i would like you to drive for me but i don't have any availabilities right now here i could put you in this formula e car and that's what he's done i wonder i'm speculating about this entirely but you know, connecting dots is is not super hard. Uh, that Rosenquist might go to and help McLaren start up this this whole project. Right. Um. Next piece of news here. This was interesting. Uh, the Marrakesh E Prix is coming back. We're going back to Marrakesh. I'm happy. I'm happy about that. But I'm sad at what it's replacing. The previously canceled Vancouver E Prix after COVID nineteen restrictions in Canada prevented the race to be prepared in time for their July 2nd race. Um, I'm happy to see, though, a return to Morocco because I still think that's a very interesting place for an auto race. And I think Moroccan fans getting an opportunity. How many times do you see a race in Northern Africa? How many times are Northern Africa fans going to be able to see a race? I mean, I think Morocco other than South Africa, is the only other country to host a Formula One race. Probably right. I I don't think there's another... I know there's not a Central or Eastern African country that's got one. And as far as Northern Africa is concerned, I think it's just Morocco. Yeah. I don't don't know that they'd be willing to host one in Egypt. I don't think so. Probably not. Probably not, right? Probably not. I mean, yeah. Probably I would, not. I would say the short list of countries that can and would be in if I would be willing to go to is probably Morocco and South Africa. To be honest, they're two beautiful locations, so why not? I don't. We'll and and they can it. if they could support it and they have fan support, why not? Why not? I agree. I still go I still it. can't believe South South Africa doesn't doesn't have any kind of motorsport event. I feel like if. If the 23 calendar for the F1 gets released and South Africa's not on it, or the 24, or doesn't, or they don't get a contract for like beginning in 24, I'm going to be disappointed. Kyalami or a Cape Town street course, man. That's all yes. we want. That's all you got to do. Either either fix up Kyalami, bring it up to F1 grade A, uh, grade one, re- grade one regulations, or do a nice little street race on 
I I still think the a Formula E street race on on in in um South Africa in my what am I talking about? Yeah, yeah, you know where I mean. Um yeah. would be beautiful in Cape Town. Uh next final piece of Formula E news here. Avalanche and Dreddy Formula E team will partner with Porsche in the 2022-2023 season onward as their team's power unit supplier. So uh, uh, Andretti is going to get their uh, powertrains from Porsche starting next year, so they've struck a good uh, deal there. I, I I hope Michael Andretti's Formula E team can, t- can continue to see better better results in uh, as, as they go. They've won races. They've had results, but they struggle with consistency, and that's really the biggest problem for them. They're just they're really struggling with consistency and they have been basically for their entire existence in formula E moving on into some IndyCar news. The final Indianapolis 500 entry list was released on Monday afternoon. There is no 34th entry, but the official confirmation that Stefan Wilson will pilot the number 25 Chevrolet for dragon speed Cusick motorsports. Uh, so 33 cars on the final, uh, Indy 500, uh, entry list for 2022. Um, Really, no, nothing major or interesting to be there. A lot of, lot of rookies. There's a lot of rookies, uh, and, and and a decent another large number of former winners in the show. Um, still, you know, crazy to me that Meyer Shank will have five Indy 500s between their two drivers. <laughs> yeah. Um. For for a team that is just now going to two cars, and that basically started part time in 2017, to now yeah. suddenly have five Indy 500s between its two drivers, I hope I hope it helps them. Um, we'll see what happens. But anyway, good good to see Stefan Wilson get get another shot at Indy. Um, I rem- I still remember. I'll tell you the story. I'll never forget it. Um, the first year or the second year he did it. He looked me dead in the eyes with like these puppy dog eyes. I remember he was telling me, he's like, this might be, I think it was 2018. And he goes, this might be the last year I run Indy. That's what he said to me. He looked me dead in the eyes. He was, he said that to me and I never forgot that. He literally thought that he was never going to run there again after 2018. And the fact that he did, it's huge, huge for him. Uh, so I'm really happy to see him get this opportunity. I mean, you could see, you, I could just tell at that moment how much this meant, this race meant to him. Uh, you see that in somebody's eyes. You could tell how much that, that race means to him. It's, it's good to see him get another opportunity. Uh, some Road to Indy news. Miles Rose USF 2000 season has been saved thanks to a cash influx from Roger Penske. Rose funding was set to run out at the conclusion of the GMR Grand Prix weekend, but Racer reports that Roger Penske has agreed to continue to fund the 21-year-old American in the remainder of the USF 2000 season, uh, while Rowe will continue to drive for Pabs Motorsports. So this is cool to see Roger Penske helping out, uh, really committing to his his desire to uh, help build the uh, the the Force Indy program and and help build this this effort to fund minority race car drivers. I mean, this is great to see that, you know, we one minute, you know, we were thinking Miles Rowe might not be able to run the next race. And here comes Roger Penske, who's got a whole bunch more money said, Hey kid, you've been doing well. 
Well, let's see how how well you could keep doing. You know, keep it up, keep it up. Yeah. Here's some more cash. So it's good to see that Roger is committed. He is definitely committed to this, uh, to to this endeavor, and it's great to see because anytime we can increase minority involvement in, in racing is is great. You know, I I know some people think it's it's woke or whatever or something stupid like that, but it's important. It's absolutely important to not be a, a sport exclusive to rich white guys. You know, it's it. That's not what you want to see. You want you want to in in order to get more people involved and in order to grow the sport, people have. have to watch you have to understand these race weekend sanchez will drive a bj mcleod motorsports car in six like we could open this and then close the book on it without hopefully you know getting ahead of ourselves arca driver daniel die was reinstated after his suspension from two weeks ago die was accused of punching a classmate in the groin doing it during a school dance the charges have since been lowered from felony battery to a misdemeanor which resulted in die's reinstatement prior to the kansas race obviously this is an ongoing situation you don't want to comment too much on it, but it it is still hilarious to me to read the police affidavit. I'm sorry. It's probably one of the funniest police affidavits I've read that didn't start with a Florida man. I uh, I will defer my statement to what Brett Griffin said on Door Bumper Clear. And and that is one idiot. Yeah. One idiot. Um, yeah, so that that's 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 where I stand on it. Um, this whole thing is just weird and confusing all at the same time, and I don't know. I mean, look, we didn't talk about this because it was an ongoing situation, and yeah. you don't want to get into like, you know us, you know how we are. We'll banter about it, and I didn't want to say something stupid that I was going to get in trouble for, so I decided to wait. And now that we know that, okay, the charges have been lowered, he's been reinstated. I guess this was like. From what I understand, allegedly what happened is this: these guys were just playing a game of ball tap, and Die hit him too hard for some yeah, reason. Yeah, well, first off, if you're... You can't even... I can't say what I really want to say because I don't want to get the E, but one idiot. They're all idiots. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> you know, Gosh. It's that, so that, hard that, to talk about this. Yeah, that's all. That's all I'm going to say, Rob. You're not going to get me to say, say anymore. I'm not asking you to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, 
I'm just being the messenger. I'm just reading the news. You're just being the messenger. I'm, you're not going to, but you're not going to get any more comments out of me about it. <laughs> he got to race Kansas, so he didn't have to. He didn't lose his his chance at a championship. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There was, there's been so much ARCA drama from rich kids, man. Team owners, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. Talk about that in a bit. Oh, that's great. Arca being just rich kids creates for rich kids and old guys that just want to race for fun. Old guys that probably should be doing vintage races but aren't. (laughs) They technically are because usually they're running steel body cars that are like. 20 yeah. miles an hour slower, maybe 30 miles an hour slower. Yeah, yeah, you're like right. One of our racing vintage cars, it's just not SVRA. Yeah, it's it's something like that. There's definitely two different divisions in ARCA within a national race. Rich kids and good old boys. <laughs> I, don't about, I don't know about good old boys, but they're definitely, they're, it's something else. Guy, guys who could probably be more competitive at a late model short track race. Yeah, I would say that. That's a good way to put it. All right, next piece of news here. NASCAR has released uh, uh, the list of top 10 drivers in the fan vote for the All-Star Race. They include Chris Buescher, Harrison Burton, Cole Custer, Austin Dillon, Justin Haley, Eric Jones, Corey LaJoy, Tyler Reddick, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Daniel Suarez. Then on Monday, which is today when we were recording this, uh, the top four were revealed, and they are Eric Jones, Corey LaJoy, Tyler Reddick, and Daniel Suarez. Um, it's always interesting to see how these go because I always imagine, like, the I always feel like the most popular guys usually end up winning. The guys who would normally win the fan vote usually end up winning the open or winning a stage in the open and transferring in. Yeah. And then the guys who, like, end up getting the fourth or fifth most votes end up actually getting to go in the to the all-star race this is why the fan vote needs to be released before like the winner of the fan vote is like on the grid like on the grid right there before the before the open begins the winner of the fan vote is joe blow joe blow you don't have to race today you climb out of that car and push that car behind the wall so you don't crash it you know you're in the actual race that's the one thing i don't like they wait till the end to reveal like well, that's awesome. Like, you, you're, you're psyched up. You're ready to go. You're like, oh, I don't have to race. Cool, man. Let's get out of here. You're in the show. You don't you're have to race your way in. You're you in the show. To, yeah, and you don't have to risk tearing up your car because if you, if you, uh, congratulations, you're the winner of the fan boat. Your car's tore up. Sorry. Save that's a it. set of tires. Huh? Save a set of tires, too. I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could save a set of tires. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But uh, for whatever reason, that's, that, that's not. That's never been NASCAR's thing. They've always waited. I'm like, just announce the winner before the start of the Open so he or she doesn't have to race, doesn't have to risk the car. I don't know. I, yeah, I always wondered why why Danica even ran the Open. I was like, she just probably ran the Open for the extra track time. She probably knew she was going to get the fan vote. Or Dale Jr. in the same regard. Yeah, Dale Jr. Always. never even had to run the Open. He just knew he was going to get the fan vote. Chase yeah. Elliott, if Chase Elliott wasn't already locked into the to the All Star race, well, he uh, probably wouldn't even have to r- run the all Open. He'd just get the fan vote. Junior never had to run in the Open because he was a former All Star winner, so he didn't have to worry about it. Um, not true. 
Oh, did they change it to a 10 year 2011, thing? 2011. In 2011, it was a 10 year rule. Uh, okay. So, yeah. And it always been, that's why Michael Waltrip in 2006, by 2007, Michael Waltrip wasn't re eligible. He had that's to race right. his way in because right. it had run out by that point. So Dale Jr., by 2011, he had not won a race. That whole, you know, 2010 was awful for a junior. He hadn't won all throughout tw- the early part of 2011. And he had to run the open for basically the first time since 2000. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter because he got the fan vote anyway. So, excuse me, I you on there. Sorry. I would have just pulled in on the first, like, ran first lap and then pulled in and just said, guys, I think, I think we got this in the bag. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a, dumb, it's a dumb rule. Change it, NASCAR. Listen to this. If someone in NASCAR is listening to this, allow the driver who wins the fan vote to just park the car before the start of the Open. What NASCAR is doing is the equivalent to the NBA releasing the All-Star rosters the night before the All-Star <laughs> the game. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, crap. I'm in, I'm in Monaco right now, man. How am I, I'm not coming back for that. That, like that, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Why? No, doesn't. doesn't make sense at all. No. All right, more on this later. But in recent days, as reported by clickbait crap, essentially sports.com, I'm never going to work there. I tell you that. Uh, NASCAR's chief operating, and I'm not, this doesn't, I don't, this was picked up by Adam Stern. It was also but picked it was up originally by- por- reported by this site that is literally just clickbait all the time. Yeah, so, and ag aggregated it, so I was like, okay, well, if Dustin Albino is going to post it on there, I feel like it, it's worthy. And, and like I said, Adam Stern talked about it, too. Yeah. He posted but he, but he posted it from a different source. Yeah, he did post it from a different he source. He posted it from a different source, so I guess this is coming from multiple sources, but I don't know if essentially sports was the one who broke it, which yeah. would make me, in this case, kind of question its legitimacy, but... Yeah. Either way, I'm going to report it because it was picked up by so many reputable sources. Uh, but in recent days, uh, NASCAR's chief operating officer, Steve O'Donnell, suggested a fourth manufacturer may be announced very soon. O'Donnell said, quote, we are in daily dialogue with one OEM in particular that's close to the finish line. Depending on who you ask, it'll be a terrific It'll be terrific for the sport if we can get that. But I think ideally, if we could ever get to five, that'd be awesome. We'll talk about this in a, in the upshift and downshift segment, but that is interesting. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. No, no one knows who that fourth manufacturer might be. Obviously, everybody's speculating Dodge, but I don't know. I, don't I have know. no idea. I genuinely don't know who would be, who else would be interested in joining NASCAR if it's not Dodge. It's either. I mean, I feel like I'd be putting a bet down that's either Dodge or Honda. I could see Honda doing it. Toyota's had a lot of success and Honda still has very has a lot of success in, in racing as well. And I I would I mean Honda has probably perfect cars for NASCAR. I mean the, I would love to see like the Accord or something in NASCAR. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I mean you'd have the same people that are upset about Toyota every day on every every NASCAR post. I don't like Kyle Busch because he drives a Toyota. I don't like that Bubba because he drives a Toyota. I haven't seen those. I haven't really seen those in a long time. It's been a while since. I remember when I first got on Twitter, you saw it a lot, but now I don't see it a lot anymore. 
Well, but, I mean, there's always still people that, yeah, who won't like that. So, and there'll be people who don't. And then the like majority them. of people who are just happy to see people take manufacturers take an interest of Nat in NASCAR are like, cool. Yeah, I mean, I just want to see Dodge back in there because I feel like we lost a lot of Dodge fans because there wasn't they didn't have a Dodge to cheer for um, after Dodge exited in 2012. So that I would just want to see, especially those after they they dropped this beautiful Gen Six, no, and then just it never runs. Wherever it, that prototype it comes car out, is, nobody nobody even took that like and ran it in Arca or something. I want I want to know where that prototype car is. Who has it? I, I and if just, it still exists, because if it if it still exists, I want to see it at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. It should be there. It should be like the greatest phantom car that never ran. Yes, yes. I mean, I I would love if Dodge went back to that design. I don't really like the design of the new Chargers. Agreed. I preferred that design from the original yes. the 05 and everything. The original Charger is superior. The like, original not, modern Charger is superior. The, yeah, the modern, the, the 2006 and on to like 2015 model, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Those, that's, that's, a, that's, I still, I still say that my dream car is a red Charger from around that time. And I know everybody's like, don't buy a red car. You'll get pulled over all the time. Dude, if I have enough money to buy a, Red Dodge Charger. I probably have enough money to pay traffic fines. All right. <laughs> the great. That is not good advice, folks. If you were listening to this and you were 16 years old and your daddy or mommy just bought you a red car, do not take that literally. Just they, saying. Uh, what 16 year old has money to buy to 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 pay for all the traffic fines? I, I'm just I'm just saying. Just 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 putting them out there because you know 16 year olds aren't always the smartest. In the world, neither eighteen-year-olds eighteen-year-olds do that. I'm saying, me personally, if I, I know, have the I'm, money to buy I'm, one, then I probably have the money to deal with how many times I'm going to get pulled over by a cop because I'm going one or two miles an hour over on the highway. I just want to say, I have it. My first two cars were red. I never got pulled over. Okay, well, I guess we we have at least one piece of anecdotal evidence that debunks that myth. And uh, yeah, I guess I see the same evidence or evidence B. I didn't always follow the speed limit, so it's, okay. it's, all, it's all about now. Here's a, here's a horrible piece. You of were advice. keeping up with traffic. You were yeah, keeping keep, up yeah, with traffic. Keep face. Don't be don't be the rabbit. Don't be the rabbit because when you're the rabbit, there's the one they're going to go after. They can't yeah. pull over all of you, but they can pull over the fastest. You're absolutely right. Welcome to America. Remember, <laughs> remember to draft your. Your traffic. Yes. That way you won't get you won't get caught. We're we're not setting good examples. We're gonna talk about featured paint schemes we're instead. We're not talking about we're not setting good examples at all. We definitely do need to move on to the feature paint scheme. Hey, it's a it's a fun year. The twenty seventeen Xfinity series. That was that was pretty fun. That was an interesting there were a lot of really interesting one off paint schemes in this that were there were some that I forgot even ran. And when I saw him again, I was like, "Oh yeah, man, that was that was cool looking," you know. Um, I'm I'm excited about the one I picked, but Josh, I'm I'm digging the one you you've got here too. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and start first with your feature paint scheme, and then I'll I'll run through mine. Yeah. So the look uh, that Junior Motorsports and Exalta put on the track for William Byron 
was really a fresh take on what an Exalta car looks like, as well as a color scheme, because, you know, Exalta, you know, even when it was before that was DuPont, you know, you had the, the blue and red or orange flames, depending upon the day of the week and what people think about it. Um, then you had the Firestorm. Uh, this is 2017, so the Gordon had run his... Um, his his black car in flames. Junior was running orange or yellow and red Exalta schemes. Well, then William Byron comes out here, and in 15 races in the 2017 Xfinity season, he drove a black, gray, and yellow-trimmed Exalta Camaro for JRM. I mean, it was just gray on the bottom. Then it kind of had black through the middle and like a square couple lines. Change of direction, if you will. I mean, again, yellow-trimmed, and it had a yellow nine. Uh, same yellow as basically Jeff Gordon's 24 uh, that, that he was running with Exalta. Um, his first two victories of the season and in his Xfinity career were in this scheme. Those were at Daytona and Iowa. Obviously, he will later win the championship that season, the second championship for JRM. The first one was in 14 with Elliott, also in the nine. Um, I just like the scheme. Again, fresh take. I liked it from the d- day it was debuted. Uh, he ran something... Similar to it, he, in 2018, I believe, at Pocono uh, for Exalta. And I really like that that scheme, too. So these were, again, the, uh, the, something about gray and black, too, with Exalta. You wouldn't think that'd mix up. you think you kind of, you're, you're, you're an automotive coating. you think you want to be a little more vibrant and colorful and stuff? You know, kind of like what the rainbow car was supposed to be. But this one was just a different take, and I appreciated it. So uh, I don't have the diecast of this car, but I, I'm always on the hunt for it. So, yeah. Rob, what's yours? All right. So mine is, it's got to be Ty Majeski's uh, number 60 iRacing Ford Mustang from the June Iowa race. Now this, there have been some iRacing schemes before that have been pretty good. But this I one was, one. what? You have one? I have one. Well, the Chase Elliott's win car. Chase Elliott. Okay, this one I at this was such such a great looking race car, especially the the original render of it. You've got the white hood. You've got this, uh, you know, it, it, and you've got the the white and blue of the i racing um of basically you know the i racing colors. And then you've got this fade to black gradient in the back of the of the car, and it really actually makes the scheme pop out. I don't it. it at first glance, you could probably think, "Oh, that kind of looks out of place." But really, the way it is, is it it's black so that the white eye racing text can show up better on there, and it really makes the text pop out. And as a result, it makes the rest of the scheme pop. So having that little bit of black in there actually makes the rest of the paint scheme pop, uh, and that's what I really appreciate that because it's different because other eye racing paint schemes didn't typically tend to have that black at the at the back there, uh, and this one does. And that's what makes me like the the way it pops a lot more. So Ty drove this at Iowa. Uh, He ran both Iowa races that year, but uh, in the first one, in the original, the June race, he ran this Iowa iRacing scheme. And then in the second Iowa race, he ran the bit of bit of honey scheme, but I didn't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this iRacing scheme because that was cool. So Ty Majeski has always been a big iRacer, but he kind of knew, knew that, but um, that that first truck win this year. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Uh, and he unfortunately finished 34th after a DNF, and that was his first ever Xfinity Series start as well um, in that number 60 car that was 
basically on its way out by this time, unfortunately. Well, uh, yeah, because 2018 was going to be a horrible year. Yeah. 2018, that 60 car was cursed. It was absolutely cursed. It was 100% cursed. But That's, still, seeing it in 17 was pretty rad. I mean, there's, there's, only, there's only a few things in the world that uh, people are unanimously in agreement with. with. One, Johnny Depp is innocent. <laughs> and, and, and two, that 60 car in 18 was cursed. <laughs> I mean, oh That's my God. It's very true. You're uh, absolutely correct. Oh my goodness. All right, well, that completes the featured paint scheme here. So let's go ahead and move on to the upshift-downshift segment, which is our debate segment. In the upshift and downshift, we'll be presented with a series of hypothetical questions and or statements. Josh and I will either upshift to agree or downshift to disagree with the statement. We'll explain our reasoning as well. We'll go ahead and we have a decent amount of questions today. We have a lot. We we kind of revised this. There was a lot of stuff that we want to talk about and discuss. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into it first. Uh, the first question here, Will Power has finished in the top four in all five IndyCar races in 2022, and he leads the points. Do you upshift or downshift that he is the biggest threat to win the championship? Josh. Ooh, this is a tough one. If he continues his streak, I'll upshift. But he's got to, I feel like he's got to win races. I don't know if you can, today, as competitive as IndyCar is, I don't know if you can be like a one or two win Champion, when you guys got like you guys like Joseph Newgarden runs well, Colton Herta. If, if if maybe this weekend was the weekend he finally decides I'm gonna need to put races together, um, and then Pato Awards looking stronger too. So I mean, this Saturday was a really tough day to gauge where everyone was at, but Will just is also finding a way to finish in the top four, no matter the situation. So I think I'm going to upshift. I think I'm going to upshift. He he might be the biggest threat to win this championship if if this new mental attitude that he's got and the way he's showing coming to the track and just laying down good finishes. He's got he's got almost a three position better average than second than anyone else in the field. So he's doing good. So I'm going to upshift. Um, I'm upshifting too. Power looked great this weekend. Um, I think the rain kind of threw things threw things off for a lot of drivers but his qualifying pace was incredible uh he looked great and he has done super great this season so far um he looks like a totally different willpower i i really think if he could continue to put string together stuff like this then absolutely he's a he's a championship favorite there's no doubt in my mind i mean this might be one of the best starts to an indycar season that we've seen in some time. I mean, we've seen good starts like this. We've seen drivers do such incredible things like this, but now power, like taking this points lead going into Indianapolis is going to be huge, especially with it being a double points race. If you can nail out a solid top five there, I mean, if power can nail out, a, it, even if he doesn't win the race, he could still nail out a good finish and really get an even bigger points jump, especially if say like a, another one-off guy or a guy lower in points wins, you yeah. know, power scoring a, a fifth place or something would put him in a really, really good opportunity. It's starting to, to, to walk away with this championship uh, as we'll basically start hitting the halfway stride of IndyCar season here in a couple of races. Yep. Yep. All right. Next question here. Now this is, 
this is a big one I wanted to talk about because I'll go into a little bit more depth here. But Simon Pagano and Will Power called on Firestone to make an intermediate tire after the rainy GMR Grand Prix. Do you upshift or downshift that it is time for IndyCar and Firestone to produce an intermediate tire? Yeah, I mean, gosh, yes. It's I don't know how you downshift this. I upshift this question 100% because watching that race was it was first off it was frustrating as a as a viewer i mean i can't imagine how it had to be there at the track for teams the i don't know how far the center of the front stretch is from the let's just say the center of of the back stretch there the holman boulevard it's not very much it, it's there's, there's not there's not a whole lot of distance there but there were times the front stretch was completely drenched, and then the back stretch was like dry. You gotta have an intermediate tire because these guys were like slicks were too slick, no grip at all. And then if you put full on wets, well, okay, you did really really good on the front stretch, but you are working hard to conserve the rubber that is on that tire down the back stretch. Yeah, you, they need to have an intermediate tire of some kind. Um, whether that may, whether it be like an all weather tire that has good, uh, has good rubber life in it and, you know, and, and it serves as a good purpose for the situation that we were there. It wasn't raining the entire time because that was also frustrating too. Like it would rain for 10 minutes and it would be dry for 10 minutes, rain for 10 minutes, dry for 10 minutes, go back and back and forth. And no one knew what to do. Absolutely. Upshift 100%. They need to have some kind of intermediate tire or all-weather tire. I think it's becoming a safety issue that they don't have an intermediate tire right now. I really think, I think it really is. You look at, look at the accidents that it happened. The accidents that were not, and the yellows that were not necessarily caused by a car stalling were in part usually due to some tire issue. The lack, you know, and, and when you have these tires, you have the, the possibility of where it, it's literally a gamble based on the conditions you know there has to be some form of intermediate tire you cannot have these guys going out there on slick tires and expecting them to you know be able to run safe races i mean you're run out there running on a slick piece of t- on slick tires you're trying to make a pass you hit a puddle i mean you're crashing into not only someone else but probably ending your your own day as well it, correct it's unacceptable i i think I don't understand how, you know, in, I understand IndyCar doesn't have a whole ton of rain races, but you still have to be prepared in a situation like this. And it just seemed like they, they weren't prepared here. They, it was either full wets or slicks. And there has to be an in-between. There has to be an in-between for situations like this. Because, you know, I was listening in, in the press conference and Will Power and Simon Pagino, they were just, they were lamenting the fact that it was like, you could not put on the wets. You could could just could not do it. You could not sacrifice safety. Excuse me. You could not sacrifice the grip. Um, in for for one part of the track, and then have be safe for another part of the track. You know, it was it was just too difficult. You basically they were losing so much time. There was a there was a situation during the race where the cars that were on slicks were about a half a lap ahead of all of the cars that were trying to run the rest of the race on wet tires. You could just see the pace difference. And it was like, well, if you were trying to just survive 
on the wet tires and trying to run this alternate strategy and banking on there being more rain, you were basically running for 13th. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't keep raining, if the rain stayed the same, if it just if it even got drier, you were basically screwed. There was no possible way your race was going to improve unless there was a safety car where you could come in and put on slick tires. And even then, you come in and put on slick tires, you run the risk of having no grip and running into a puddle of water and hydroplaning. There needs to be some kind of intermediate tire, and I fully and wholeheartedly agree with what those drivers were saying. And I think it would have prevented a lot of the chaos and carnage that we saw on Saturday in the GMR Grand Prix because just so many things happened. And, you know, I'm telling this story now because I think it's relevant. I wanted to expand upon this. I tweeted this on on my Twitter after it happened. So I want to go through with people and explain what happened. So after the race concluded, um, you know, I was asked to go down to the uh, pit road and try and get a word with Roman Grosjean. Um, because you know, my boss was just asking, he was asking me, you know, why don't you go down there and, and see if you can talk to him about uh, what happened in this race, what happened on track, you know, all that stuff. And because he, I think he got a, a penalty too for something. Um, so I went down um, and I, it was raining like heck, right? I was so glad that I heeded my own warning. I wrote a story on Saturday about, about weather and what to do on weather, but um, I heeded my own warnings and, took a raincoat that I put on when I went out there. And so I go down to the pit road and even though I had to remind and convince the yellow shirts that yes, Hey, I'm media. I'm supposed to be allowed to be here. I'm allowed to be on pit road. It's not a hot racetrack anymore. I'm allowed to be here. Um, and they let me go. And, and thankfully they let me go uh, when they did, because, uh, as I was looking for Grosjean's pit stall, um, I, turn the corner and I, I found him I actually did find him and I had to quickly look because him and Marina's VK had incredibly similar liveries it was annoying as heck all weekend for me but I had to do a quick double take and I had to double check and I'd make sure I was like do I see DHL logos because that's how I'm going to know the difference between whether or not this is Grosjean or if this is VK I have to check the you know the, the belt around it because usually they have their names on there I had to make sure and as soon as I was sure it was Grosjean I turn around and I try and follow him now he's got his helmet on. He he's got his helmet on and he's got a something in his in his hand. He's got he's he was carrying a bag and I think it was his helmet bag. And he was making a a deadbolt. He was walking directly down the pit stop and he I, we cross our paths and I I try and stop him for a minute and I say, "Roman, do you have a moment? Do you have a moment?" And he, he, if you don't if you know me, you know that like I have horrible social anxiety. So doing that to a race car driver is already hard enough. So it's entirely possible that he either didn't hear me and didn't see me. And I probably needed to be more aggressive either way. I know I made eye contact with him, so I know he saw me, but either way, he kind of just ignored me and kept walking. And I don't hold that against him. I understand his day was kind of ruined uh, and he was frustrated, and he probably didn't want to deal with the media. He just wanted to go right back to his trailer and debrief, probably see his wife, probably see whoever, and just forget about what just happened. Um, but I, I think he was upset with how, uh, with how the race went and, and with how difficult the conditions were. I think that was something that added on to it, and that added because he was not the only driver that was frustrated. And you even hear two podium finishers basically come out and say, yeah, this was uh, not not great. This was not ideal. I wish we had rain tires. There's another thing that we'll get to in a little bit, but 
I wanted to, to preface that, that that was something that, that happened, that I, I was a story I could tell during my soapbox time of the upshift downshift. Um, but yeah, I, it, it further emphasizes my shifting up of the idea that it's time for intermediate tires in IndyCar. Uh, next question here. Despite what Clint Boyer said, the stands at Kansas Speedway were lackluster compared to other cup races in 2022. Do you upshift or downshift that the addition of, of Gateway hurt attendance on Sunday at Kansas, Josh? Absolutely upshift this. I, You know, Rob, you and I kind of texted back and forth, bounced back and forth, and I'll let you say maybe the things that you said if you wanted to. I, I just think that Kansas has struggled on the attendance side the past couple of years even pre-COVID, and even last year, post-COVID, when all these other tracks are, you know, we're seeing more and more people at the track, you know, they appreciate, oh, we we need to appreciate being at the track instead of watching it on television, uh, as we had to in so many cases in 2020. Kansas struggled. I think Kansas is a track that maybe deserves only one date, and let's make that, you know, just kind of what NASCAR and stock car racing in the United States has kind of turned into where it's when we, a track like that doesn't have a multiple dates, especially with ARCA being so weak. Um, it just have a super weekend. And, and if, if NASCAR wants to have all four divisions there, that's fine. Great, dandy. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think the addition of Gateway, those fans coming from... Uh, who would come from the closer to the greater St. Louis area that would travel to Kansas City for this race. They're like, you know what, let's check out this race. We've gone to the gate. Maybe they've gone to the gateway races at, with the trucks. Or maybe they remember the Bush races and the nationwide races from back in the day. They wanted to go check that one out. And they're going to the cup race there, the first, first cup race there. So, uh, yeah, I upshift. I think it has hurt. I think it has hurt. We just to see what, what, if there are any uh, information that comes out related to that. You know what, Josh? I see where you're coming from, but honestly, I have to downshift this. I don't think Gateway's addition had really anything to do with the lackluster attendance. I think the fact of the matter is right now, I think most tracks that have two dates have to have two dates for a reason, and their two dates have to be special and an event. Um, I think that's why Talladega's two dates work. I think that's why Daytona's two dates work. I think that's why Darlington's two dates work. Um, you know, I, I even think that's why Atlanta's two dates work. Of course, I think they could do a lot better with the second race. Um, I think they could do a lot more to make that unique, but it also, but there's another thing they could do to the second Atlanta race that would make it even better. And that's maybe run it under the lights. And that's what I think Kansas needed to be doing this past weekend. Uh, the fact of the matter is in, during May, I think people and NASCAR needs to understand that there's just so much happening in May, not just in the racing world, but in the sports world period. You have NBA and NHL playoffs that are going on in May, okay? Those are two very, very popular sports that a lot of people are going to be tuning into. And if you're going to try and capture any kind of casual fans, the likelihood that you're going to be able to get them uh, during those seasons is very, very slim. And another thing is the fact that it's it, – I look at Kansas and I say I think that having a night race at Kansas is, is, is important. Um, you don't typically tend to see all that many night 
mile and a half races anymore. Most of them have all moved to the day with the exception of Charlotte. Um, most of the other mile and a half races that you see now are typically taking place during the day. Um, and Kansas had a unique uh, date there in that they were a night May race. Personally, and I said this with you, Josh, I think every NASCAR race in the month of May needs to take place at night on a Saturday night. Um, and I think that is just done specifically to maximize the auto racing audience. Um, not just the casual sports fan audience, but the auto racing audience. Because what is the auto racing audience typically watching uh, during the day? Well, they're probably watching one of the many other races that are going on. They're probably paying attention to whatever's happening at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You know what I mean? NASCAR gets a break because the GMR Grand Prix runs on Saturday. But next week, you know, what, you know, or previous previous week when we were at Barber, you know, that would have been a much better race probably to put as a night race uh at darlington ultimately i think kansas being a night race made it an event you know and you know the playoff race is going to sell out you know you put a a kansas race in the playoffs i think that's going to sell out just because it's a playoff race people are going to want to see that anyway but you've got to make that may race worth something and i think it being a night race and being able to kind of celebrate it as a saturday you know they've got that casino on 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 uh on campus i think you get a lot of people coming in for the weekend uh you know you come in you get them there on a saturday night i think it's a bigger deal i think it's a bigger event to have that race on a saturday night rather than a three o'clock on a sunday in the middle of may when you have competition from golf you have competition from the nhl you have competition from the nba there's a lot of sports. You have competition from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as well. It's all about trying to maximize NASCAR's exposure, and I think the best way to do that is probably to have it on a Saturday night. Ideally, it would be on Fox. I understand they want it on FS1, but I still think a Saturday night race is probably a lot more enticing to the fans than it pro- than a Sunday afternoon race is. So that's personally my opinion on it. It might not be right, but... That's where I, I'm thinking. I think May and, and having races in at night in May is a big deal, and it's a great way to help hype up the All-Star Race and the Coke 600 as well. And I think it's a missed opportunity to have two back-to-back races be during the af- Sunday afternoon as opposed to being uh, at, on Saturday night. All right, next question here. Several drivers had their races affected by numerous full-course cautions during the Indy GP. Do you upshift or downshift that IndyCar should adopt F1-style safety car procedures, Josh? I upshift at least on the road courses. Ovals would be no, but I just, just no. But, again, the Southern Rob, you and I were talking about, and I don't mean to steal what you'd say, but you've had a, you certainly have had an influx of of European or former F1 drivers come in here and, well, here in America, we just run cautions differently, and I, I kind of, this is something that's been building up for maybe two years now, where a caution comes out and guys affected, but if they were just able to pit even under the the safety car underneath the full course caution, that they wouldn't lose their spot or they wouldn't lose as many spots, their strategy wouldn't be as affected, you know, as to how the race is playing out, whether they're doing a two or a three stop race caution, no matter what's going to going to play, someone's going to be affected 
or people are going to be affected, but the severity of it is, you know, the, the dominant car seems to always be the one that gets screwed out of this, and you have a surprise winner, like, well, yeah, we kind of lucked into that. The, 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 the caution fell at the right time. So if you have a F1 or European-style safety car, full course caution, pit road remains open, you can come down pit road anytime you want, you know, and you just fall in line wherever you blend back onto the track, and once everyone's kind of caught up, everyone's kind of caught up, you know? Um, pit at your own risk at that point. But, yeah, uh, I, I upshift this. I think it'd be good on the on the uh, road courses. And uh, I know you'll say something, Rob, else. I'm sure if you don't, I'll mention it for you, but I won't, I won't steal all your thunder. But I wouldn't even mind this being a permanent addition to the rules for years to come, even after a certain change. Yeah, I have to upshift this as well. I really am uh, surprised that this hasn't been something that's happened. I feel like we've we've asked variations of this question before in the past, and you're definitely starting to see a lot more drivers within the paddock become very vocal about these things, requesting things like you know a, a more of an emphasis on blue flags, you know, more things like local yellows, you know, requesting things, especially local yellows. Local yellows could be something that could be way more popular and it seems like there's a a, a lack of local left yellows at all in indycar and i understand you know a lot of that is is about you know dealing with uh, a driver being needing a restart um i i think you know that'll go away once they get onboard starters here and i think 24 i think yeah, is I think 24 i yeah. think is when they're supposed to get onboard starters with the new engine engine deals um but i i think it's time i think it's even a little bit safer because i i sometimes worry especially now seeing so many cars on pit road with how the teams are set up you know what i mean i i feel like it's even a safety the the less cars you can have on pit road at a time would probably be better and i feel like this allows for a way for less cars to be on pit road at one given time you're having more of a a cycle of cars coming on and off of pit road kind of more in an orderly fashion rather than everybody coming all at once and there being all this chaos on pit road and everything you know i understand it's a, a way to keep the field a lot closer but you're just seeing more and more drivers become frustrated and angry and you know in some cases taking their frustration and anger out on other cars and other drivers and being more aggressive than is necessary you know i think it's just time you're getting you IndyCar has to accept that they're becoming a popular destination for European drivers. And as a result, you have to adapt in order to keep that kind of growth happening. I mean, a lot of these European drivers that are coming in are bringing funding that is providing an extra car that would not be there if not for their interest in IndyCar. And I think the least IndyCar can do is help accommodate them by making some rule changes and updating how things are done. I don't know how the fans would take it, and I don't know how race control would take it or the teams, but I think it's something that absolutely needs to be done and absolutely needs to be looked into. That's really all I have to say about that, Josh. Did I nail what I you thought I was going to say? Yeah, just with the starter, um, I you know you mentioned earlier that maybe this would only be a necessary change until the starter came along. Because th uh, by then, you I think you could have just local yellows and call it a day 
Right. Uh, that that would certainly help. But even under a, if any, they would make the rule change to tomorrow that said, hey, full course yellows, we're going to allow the pit road to remain open and drivers can come at their own discretion if they want to, yeah. you know, pit. Maybe they have enough gap between the car behind them, whatever. Um, I would say leave it as a permanent addition to the Indy car, at least on road courses, not on yeah, ovals. Yeah, only on road on courses, road, not, on road. not on ovals. It's far too dangerous on ovals. Especially yeah. if there's an incident in the pits, it's far. Obviously, if there's an incident in the pits, close pit road. Right. But yeah. if pit road is is incident free, there's really no reason to close it, in my opinion. Yeah, I I I would agree with that. Yep. It works in NASCAR, but it in an IndyCar on a road course, at least, it's not it's not the best rule anymore. Uh, next question here. Kurt Busch and Denny Hamlin are currently outside the top 16 in the Cup Series points, currently uh, knocking winless Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick entirely out of the playoffs. Do you upshift or downshift? What's going on here, Josh? Uh, you know what? I, I, I upshift. Um, they're both high enough in points. I think Kurt Busch is 18th. Denny Hamlin is 22nd, I think, now, inching his way forward, slowly but surely. Um, when? Simple deal. I know Reddick is knocking on the door for a win. It's ridiculous. He's going. It's to crazy that Reddick is is not in the top sixteen, despite how well he has finished. Yeah, and he, but he's like because Cindric is sixteenth in points. I think he's. I think Reddick is like fourteenth or fifteenth in points. No, Reddick or Dylan. Reddick and Dylan are thirteenth and fifteenth in points. Briscoe is fourteenth in points, and he obviously. Has a win. Cindric and Briscoe have wins moving forward. The last two guys in the playoffs without a win are Reddick and Dylan. Well, you have two guys outside the top 16 in points with wins. Knock them out. Win and you're in. You know, that may not be the case by the end of this year, but a win gives you a better shot at making the playoffs than not. So, win and you're in. Get it done. Figure it out. I upshift this. Denny Hamlin isn't sitting 29th in points. He's sitting 22nd. I can live with a 22nd place guy making the playoffs compared to a 29th place guy. Um, and I can certainly live with an 18th place guy and Kurt Busch making the playoffs. So I upshift. I don't have a problem with this. I understand where people would have a problem with this, and I totally understand it. It's just my only thing is the cream rises to the top in these playoffs now with the playoff points. Yeah. I mean, the stage points and the playoff points have just really helped the final four not be the guys who are the best in the last 10 races, but really be end of races so all 36 races i think in this situation with kurt bush and denny hamlin as well I think you have to look at that out the round, so it's not like they're going to 
be Suddenly, coming through run because the cream's going to rise to the top. The guys that Have those playoff points yeah, and stay. Agree. All right. Next question here. Mercedes F1 team principal Toto Wolf claims that Michael Andretti's proposal to enter F1 in 2024 hasn't demonstrated it will be beneficial to F1, and Wolf is seemingly more concerned about the prize money being divvied up, di divided up by eleven and not ten. Do you upshift or downshift this, Josh? I downshift. Um, I tweeted about this. Um, and I, and I talked about this in an earlier podcast, you know, I've been a, I've been a Lewis Hamilton fan for over, over a decade, but I've really watched F1 since 2016. I've tried to watch every F1 race uh, that I can since 2016. And if you know, I don't know how the how the new F1 fan will do, but I'm starting to get turned off of F1 because of this politics. When you are presented with a team that says, we are willing to pay this. We have the funding on the other side. We are willing to put a t car together and, you know, will they be winning right away? No, but they're not going to be a team that, are we going to make it to the next race or not? They're not going to be a, you know, a minority or a catering. They're not going to be that. They're going to be a fine team. And they're saying no, all because they're worried about their pocketbooks and it's politics. Every other series in the world wants to grow the car count. If NASCAR could send 20 cars home a week, they would gladly do so. And if IndyCar could get 45 cars to show yeah. up for 500 qualifying, they'd take that. They would. Every... Every series in the world wants to grow their car count and to have competition and sending people home. That means their interest is good. Their sponsorship is there. But F1, and, and I won't get into everything that the Liberty Media CEO said, but he's turned me off rapidly in the past the last couple of weeks with some of his comments. Oh, he ruffled feathers of IndyCar. IndyCar, and then, and then again with it, it this. It triggered dirty. Mark Miles to basically call him and be like, dude, WTF. Yeah, and then and then the same comments along with this Andretti deal. I'm starting to get turned off. I'm starting to get turned off of F1 because I've known there's politics have existed forever. Look, politics cost Senna a championship, right? Politics Pol robbed us of the 2005 USGP being not a farce. Yes. So I know it's existed, but this is stupid. This is like when it when when you want that when you want to grow the American, you want to sustain. I think the American 
base is grown. It's here. But if you want to sustain it, you need... It, you need it, Haas is an American team. They just don't have the greatest funding in the world. So you need another American team who's maybe willing to put up and can swallow a little bit of a, of a cost maneuver because of, through their partners of putting a American driver who isn't fully funded on the grid, whereas Haas can't. So... Again, what, 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 I don't, I haven't seen, no one has said what, what these, what, what, what's not getting checked off here. Because every, to the outsiders, every, they're checking off all the boxes. So to me, it's not that they're not a prepared team, it's that they're going, they're, the $200 million, first off, in the Concord Agreement, if an 11th team enters, they have to pay $200 million. That's, that's in the Concord Agreement, right there. It doesn't matter when they do so. It's $200 million. I'm just disappointed. I'm tired of this politics. I am getting turned off. If Andretti, mark my words, if Andretti does not, is not allowed to join, my interest in F1 will be cut by 75% because I will be turned off that much by the politics. It almost feels like Toto and the rest of these team owners don't, care if the series collapses do we not forget do we truthfully forget that five years ago give or take maybe six six or seven years ago we had about three to four teams that were on the brink of collapse yeah yeah Yeah. i I mean could you imagine what would have happened if those if at least one of those teams, maybe two of those teams, ended up having to shut down and pull out of Formula One. Well, and they were talking about, like, how what's it going to cost for Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari to put a third car in the grid? They were talking about... What's they were, they were. I remember. I remember. There were third car... They were, they were talking about going to three cars uh, in 2015. And I remember uh, that... Because they were doing that because they were pretty sure... That Caterham was was shutting down. They knew Caterham was shutting down. They're pretty sure Manor was going to shut down. There were pretty solid rumors that Force India was about to collapse, um, and Haas was getting ready to join. But there was other teams. Sauber, Sauber was bleeding money. So much. Lotus was bleeding money. Lotus was about to collapse. Sauber had signed like four drivers on accident and didn't know didn't know which one was contractually allowed to drive for them. Yeah. Um, and they were, they were so, they were so poor that they literally signed any driver that brought money and then just signed the drivers who brought more money and didn't tell the drivers who were bringing less money until they could cash their checks. And it caused Guido Vandergaard to basically like, he had a ride. He, I, I remember Vandergaard was supposed to drive for Sauber in like 20, 15 or 16 and he was had to sue the team because he had a contract in place that they voided as soon as someone else or I think it was Nazar came up with extra money because there was questions of whether or not uh, Nazar's funding was going to run out and when Nazar was able to find some money uh, from whoever was sponsoring him they canceled Vandergaard's contract and he was like what wait a minute what but I just paid you all of this money so he took him to court to basically get his money back <laughs> It was just a complete disaster, and it's like I feel like um, if, if this it's it's trending toward. You cannot have this right now. We have ten stable teams. 
Okay, Williams and Haas and Aston Martin. Okay, they're not super great, but at least they're not woefully off pace, right? They're not. They're not on the brink of financial. Right. They're not resorting yeah. to crowdfunding like Caterham had to do to even make it to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, you're not. You're, they're not. Look, there's no team on. Not to interrupt you, but there's no team in F1 right now that we can point to and say. Are you going to make it to the next race? Like, there were several teams there that 14, 15 seasons that you were questioning. So, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to interrupt you anymore. Go ahead. Finish no, I mean, you're fine. But it just seems as though there's... Formula One has to have more cars on the grid because of that possibility. And not to mention the fact that there is actually a budget cap now. There's a budget cap now. So what? what's the problem? It's not like... You're going to be outspent by some other team. I mean, okay, yeah, you're getting less money in prize money, but it's not like you can. It, 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 you you have a, a a limit of how much you can spend developing this and running this car now. Yeah. So it's it's not even going to matter in the long term as long as you can sign a sponsor that will make up for any lost prize money. I think they should be fine, and I think given how Formula One is doing right now, they shouldn't have a problem willing to find a sponsor that's willing to put up that kind of money and and get their name on a Formula One race car. Given how popular it is here in the U.S. now, how many people are watching it, I think they'd have a pretty decent uh, pitch to any any company willing to do that. To I, it, it wouldn't. It doesn't seem like it would be that difficult for them on the surface to make up that kind of money. And again, an 11th car is proof of a healthy grid. Formula 2 has 22 cars on its grid, and Formula 1 has 20. And there's already a logjam of Formula 2 talent that's basically having to go to Formula E or IndyCar and never even getting to run a Formula 1 car. Having an, an, an 11th team could help ease that log jam and actually allow for drivers to move up and get to formula one that have earned their right to get to formula one and drive there not because they brought money but because they were champions in formula two they were runners up they were race winners you know people who've already proved themselves at the highest level of junior formula and ergo should be in formula one there is everything to be gained here and the only things that's to be lost are a little bit of extra money going into these guys' pockets. Yep. I think Toto Wolf. I don't. Okay, this might sound terrible, but Toto Wolf is acting a bit like. Uh, should I bring politics into this, John? Go ahead. If we're talking about F1 politics, can we bring American politics into this? Can I say that Toto Wolf saying this is a bit like Mitch McConnell? And the idea of, you know, stall and stall and not get anything done for the sake of advancing your own agenda. I wouldn't just single out one politician. I'd single out who's ever not in the White House. Well, it, yeah, it, I mean, look, I mean, right. look, yeah. I used just, him as an ex- example because he's kind of been the, the, the main, the guy who's ushered in that idea of, uh, of the filibuster of just like, if I don't like this, I, I mean, he's not the only politician by any means that does this. This Every politician does this now, but he was the the guy that kind of made it popular, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean, Toto's just, Toto's just, he's looking out for himself and his team and not the entire sport. Right. And that's wrong. And that is, and he's, he's, he's being very narrow-minded. He's not seeing past the end of his nose. Whatever the saying you want to say, 
he's just looking out for himself and his team and not the greater good. And that is not what you need as a community. It doesn't matter what your what your community is. You got to look out for everybody. And I'm most of these teams, I feel like, who are being vocal about it can swallow that. Can swallow that loss. And I don't think... I mean, the, the $200 million that Andretti's paying up is meant to... It's meant to right, he's willing to, to basically subsidize yeah. them. And that's what, and, and that's what they, all these teams agreed to. So, look, I, 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 I've said they what I... They agreed to this. You're right. Yeah. They agreed to this in the Concord Agreement that said anyone who wants to come in here has to pay $200 million. Michael Andretti is like, here, here's the check. And they're yeah. literally turning it down. Yeah, which is why he's wanting to take him to court, and I hope he wins, and I hope it's another. He will win. He will win. It's stated in the Concord Agreement. This they have no legal rights to deny him entry into Formula One. He has everything that they've asked him, and he has everything that he needs to start up this Formula One. I mean, they didn't make this this hard on Gene Haas. No, if this was twelve years ago, Michael Andretti would have been approved yesterday. Yes. Yes, it's just, it's, it's, it's selfish politics. And I'm going to stop myself right there from saying anymore because I don't want to take up any more time. Did I go too far on bringing American politics into it too? No, no. I'm just, I'm just. I I mean, I I, thought it was a good example, I guess, to, to, to bring everything. It was, it's not maybe great to call out one politician, but that's really what it's like. It's like going in there and filibustering. You don't really have a point. You don't really have anything that you have to you don't really have any actual points of why this is bad you just don't want it to happen so you just go in there and you filibuster the whole time to prevent any discussion until people get tired and bored and move on you know total wolf and these other owners are just waiting until michael andretti gets tired of fighting and moves on i don't think he's going to get tired though that's the thing no exactly he's he's not going to get tired and he's gonna but they're hoping he does so they're trying to keep delaying this for however long they can until just it's, it's just like a giant filibuster. It's really what it is. Yeah. All right. We're going to go into our final question here. Uh, do you upshift or downshift that Dodge is the most likely OEM to join NASCAR and that Stuart Haas racing will be the team that they partner with to return? That is an interesting turn to the question, Josh, I have to say. I, I, I got to upshift. Um, obviously, these rumors started when Tony Stewart announced Tony Stewart Racing would be going to NHRA and he'd be a Mopar customer, Dodge. Um, I, I, I think he's... I don't, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to really describe it. I just kind of got this feeling like when you look at the big teams... Hendrick's not leaving Chevrolet. RCR is not leaving Chevrolet. No. Trackhouse could leave Chevrolet, but they're doing really, really well with their partners there. So why would you leave something that's good? Trackhouse right? doesn't have any financial incentive to leave it right they now. They don't have any financial incentive. Absolutely. I think they're very not content. Unless, right unless Dodge gave them a better deal than what they're getting from RCR. Right. But unless the, if they're happy with what they've got from RCR, which they should be. Yeah. Yeah, Penske's not leaving Ford. I don't think RFK's not leaving Ford. Gibbs Roush isn't will never Toyota. Leave Ford, no, and Gibbs is in twenty three eleven. Are leaving Toyota. 
So when you look at the big teams, it kind of leaves Stuart Haas, where you kind of thought they'd be Chevrolet forever, and then they switched to Ford that took the check. Well, Dodge comes around for Sports Series, but I feel like Dodge has. When you look, when I look at Dodge and Honda, I feel like Dodge has the most to gain from joining NASCAR compared to Honda. Honda's already Honda sales are already good in 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 America. Dodge in that entire division, it's kind of floundered. I feel, and it's sad to say that, but. At the same time, they're an American historical brand. I know they're owned by a conglomerate and then subpar at an Italian company. It's the whole thing. But I, I feel like when everyone says, I want Dodge, I want Dodge, I want Dodge, I want Dodge. And Dodge sees that. You know, maybe they're, maybe that's the way to go. So a lot of it, a lot of this is kind of based off of heart. Mixed with a little bit of head, uh, mindset thinking here. But I just kind of, you know, one plus one equals two. Two plus two equals four. I think if this Dodge and a Stuart Haas marriage is not crazy. So I upshift. This is, this is really interesting to see this. And it, 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 here's the thing. I'll say this. Uh, when we're talking about Tony Stewart, I remember when he switched to Ford. I, I remember it was a business move. I remember him saying very clearly and it being very clear that it was a business move. It was not something Tony necessarily wanted to do, which was leaving Chevrolet. Uh, but Ford offered him more money, offered him basically factory support, and he couldn't turn it down. Yeah. Um, I think in this situation, Tony is a businessman. And Tony is somebody who is going to do whatever makes financially sense. Uh, on the other hand of that, Dodge is, if Dodge truthfully is is the closest OEM to rejoin, to be joining NASCAR in the future, if this report is true, because keep in mind, I'm still taking this with a grain of salt given its original source. I'm going to continue to take this with a grain of salt no matter what. Like I, I know it's a lot of people like to believe it, but I'm personally taking it with a grain. I mean, of salt. I, I, that's fair. I, I mean, I'm probably taking it with a grain of salt too because it's just. I mean, the only thing that makes he's got a Steve O'Donnell quote attached to it, whatever that quote means. I feel like that's a that's a very bold but statement. But Bob Blocker has pointed out the important addition to that quote, which was depending on who you ask. Right, and but you're right, and and I agree. But that's a lot to say for Steve O'Donnell for it not to be true or not to be more true than not. And because that would just be a poor move on his part, in my opinion. So that's okay. Again, I mean, again, for me, the fourth OEM has been a conversation for a long time, but I feel like this quote here was maybe the strongest quote we've had for a fourth OEM saying we're joining in a, in a while. I can, I can see that. Uh, my thing to that, though, is Dodge is going to need to have a number of teams supporting. The thing about the thing that made Dodge leave in the first place was that no team was willing to commit to them. 
You know, every team was either getting plenty of help from Ford and Toyota or Chevrolet, and Dodge was really just the odd man out. Dodge is going to need to partner with multiple teams if they actually, like, just my, just like they were in 2001. They're going to have to partner with multiple teams, which means they're going to have to probably pony up a decent amount of money for factory support and try and entice some of these teams to leave their current current deals. Could this be something where Rick Ware Racing joins them too because Rick Ware Racing is, is attached with Stuart Haas? I think that could be a good deal because then they would have basically as many cars as Toyota does. Yep, six, six, yeah. And I think that would be a good starting point. Um, give Rick Ware an opportunity to continue to build because obviously what we, we're seeing right now uh, out of Ryan Priest when he runs that car, what we're seeing right now out of David Reagan when he runs that car, and even though people don't want to admit it, Cody Ware is actually doing pretty, pretty well. I still Certainly think improved from the last few years. He's still got his issues, but he's doing a lot better. The car is running a lot better. He's scoring better finishes. Like he's had his best two finishes of his career in 2022, which is saying something as well. And those have been finishes on either merit or just due to luck, which no matter what is is still good. I I think that it's it, you're right. You connect these dots. You see, okay, Tony's running Dodge in 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 the nhra he's got a relationship now with them and if that relationship continues to be good and dodge really is looking into this then yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's totally far-fetched um but like i said i'm still taking it with a with a grain of salt i don't know who that fourth oem is if it's dodge if it's honda if it's who knows i have no idea i we we won't know until it's announced and that and if it's announced at all, yeah, you know, but I think like you said, like we've talked about, Tony will do whatever makes business sense. And Dodge will have to have an established team going with them. And they will have to have additional teams as well running them. They'll probably have to make deals with Xfinity, which means they'd probably have Stuart Haas's Xfinity team running some Dodges. And I'm sure they'd be more than willing to team up with uh, some some up and coming Xfinity teams like maybe maybe a, a an hour motorsports situation. Uh, you know, I'm I know Ryan Sieg just got a bunch of money from Ford, so maybe Dodge could you know help out Jeremy Clements or something. I don't know or JD Motorsports. I don't know. You know, maybe take one of those midfield teams and try and build them up in the Xfinity series. You know, those are options as well. You know, it wouldn't just have to be Tony Stewart. It, it, or they could do as they did in 2001 and two, and not enter the Xfinity series right away. You know, those are options as well. You know, it, it all depends. I honestly, up ultimately, I have to, I have to uh, upshift this. This, if this is true, and like I said, I'm still taking it with a grain of salt. If this is true, this makes the most logical sense because with the Stewart Haas connection to Rick Ware, that would guarantee Dodge six cup cars for their fleet for their return year whenever that is with the opportunity of maybe grabbing another one you know I don't know how committed Spire Motorsports is to Chevrolet I know they get their stuff from RCR but I'm pretty sure they're probably further down on the totem pole compared to like Trackhouse or or uh or uh, Petty GMS you know I imagine they're further down on the totem pole and maybe would like to move up and strike it and that's the other thing is is really having that fourth oem would help 
establish a lot of those teams because I think when you saw NASCAR's boom in popularity and all the parody that came with that, you had a lot of those Dodge teams, teams that were running Pontiac or, or, yeah. I I think that's, it's, it's, it's obviously, it's a possibility. So I'm going to, I'm going to upshift it even though I'm taking the initial report with a grain of salt. Okay, Josh, it's time for me to, I guess, talk a little bit more because we're going to, that's it for our upshift and downshift questions. Remember, you can play along at home. You can tweet us at Robin Roller, spelled just as it sounds, um, and tell us your upshift, downshift. You can also uh, play along in the app. We'll have our Spotify question of the week. If you're a Spotify listener, you can answer whatever one of the preceding questions, uh, one or yeah, one of the preceding questions uh, right in your app. You can You can do it right now as you're listening to it, so... Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into the weekend wrap-up because we had a lot of races going on. Um, Formula E was once again not broadcast live on U.S. television. You had to stream it. God, they just don't care. But at least it was live. At least it was live. At least it was streamed live on the CBS app. I have to give them credits for that because that's something we didn't even get for Monaco. We didn't even get to see it live legally. Now, at least with the Berlin, clearly we got to see it live. Eduardo Mortara won another race in Formula E. That's huge for him. Uh, it was good to see him win it. And then race number two was won by Nick DeVries. And I'll be honest, I didn't really get to see him race number two. And I'm so sorry because I was, I was at IMS the whole time. <laughs> so I don't really have much to say. But, but race one was fun. Race one was fun. I'll say, I'll say that. I did get to watch a little bit of that. Um, the Bathurst 12-hour was this week. I talked about that last week. I was really excited for it. Only 20 cars we're unfortunately in the race this year, but those 20 cars put on one heck of a show. It was a great race. Sun Energy won racing one with Kenny Habul, Jules Gunan, Mar- Martin Conrad, and Lucas Stoltz. Uh, fantastic little little race. If you uh, it didn't get a chance to watch it, you can watch the highlights on YouTube. The race was live streamed entirely for free on multiple different YouTube cha- channels. Uh, it was a GT World because it was actually an intercontinental GT challenge event officially even though it only had such a small entry list um and it was also broadcast on the bathurst 12 hour page it was also broadcast on the supercars youtube page so it was everywhere you had plenty of options to fa- to watch this race if you wanted to uh it was a really cool race though i got th- i was definitely watching a little bit uh during the rain delay at ims um i was i was writing about tyrese halliburton getting to run uh, the two seater. He was a piece of Pacers player. For those of you who don't know, he was running the pa- the the two seater, and he was the honorary starter too. And um, I was writing the story about that. And uh, in the background, I was watching the start to the Bathurst twelve hour. Always how they start basically in the dark at the crack of dawn, which is always wild to me. They start at the absolute crack of dawn, and and just under twilight. It's it's always it's always cool to see that like. It's it's really a cool scene to see everybody on the start two by two with their headlights shining with the sun rising in the background over the mountain. It's it's a really cool experience. So if you if you def, if you didn't get a, a chance to watch it, definitely at least go back and watch the start of the race. Um, IMSA was at Mid Ohio this week uh, in DPI. Kanaka Minolta Acura won. Uh, it was driven by Ricky Taylor and Philippe Albuquerque. Uh, in LMP2, Dragon Speed USA won. Juan Pablo Montoya was on pace for a sixth-place finish in the uh, in the, GM, uh, the GMR Grand Prix until he crashed on basically the last lap and brought out uh, the race-ending caution. But he then, I saw Tony DeZeno was tweeting that he did an Instagram live story with his son Sebastian. And Sebastian was driving him after the race. He picked him up from, from IMS, and they were going to go 
drive together to mid Ohio for the for the IMSA race, and they they were at a at the infamous Taco Bell, uh, the Speedway Taco Bell that Scott Dixon got robbed at uh, back in uh, 2015 or 16, I think. 2015 to 16, they were at the same, I think it was the same infamous Speedway Taco Bell. <laughs> so very bold of, I, I guess it was, I guess it's a, a good idea to live stream yourself because then I guess you have evidence, but <laughs> yes. uh, we, if we've learned anything, it's that race car drivers should not stop at that, the Speedway Taco Bell. <laughs> I feel like I, Juan I guess Pablo, they had no problem. I feel like Juan Pablo wouldn't care though. He's just like, let's just go. Let's just go. I, I yeah, I, he, they just needed some food. He had just had a long race. He drove from basically last all the way up to sixth and then crashed before the race could even finish, which is always annoying. But then he got, he, he made up for it because he drove all the way, him and Sebastian drove all the way to mid Ohio and uh, were able to get, um, get a victory there. So Juan Montoya and his co-driver Heinrich Hedman won in LMP2. Uh, in LMP3, Core Autosports, Colin Braun and John Bennett were the victors. And in GTD, Turno Motorsports, of Robbie Foley and Bill Oberlin were the victors. So great IMSA race. Uh, I actually where it was. I actually did watch the first hour of that because it was on uh, an hour before the Cup race started. So I was actually able to watch about the first hour and a half there before the Cup race started. So that was kind of neat uh, to get to watch the little IMSA race. But it was it was great race from what I was able to see. Um, very very fun. So that was neat. Um, and then the IndyCar race. The GMR Grand Prix at Indianapolis was won by Colton Herta. We have there's there's so much to unpack here that we have already unpacked and that we haven't unpacked. And first, we've already talked about how bad the conditions were, how wild the the tire situation was, and all that stuff. But really, it was just the most treacherous thing I had ever seen. I've never, I I take that back. I have it's seen rain race at any car race I've ever seen. At least let's put it that way. Right, they ran in the rain in 2019. Where it, but it it was a very late rain where it rained with like less than ten laps to go, I think, and it 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 kind of threw things. And it wasn't like a full rain wet race yeah. that we've seen. And I think I know the first USGP in two thousand was a wet race because I remember it being wet when my dad took me to practice that year. I got to see practice, not the actual race, but he took me to practice because it was cheaper and it was really awesome. It was my first. I was I was literally maybe a month away from turning five. I, I think I was less than a month away from turning, uh, from turning about five years old. And uh, he took me to, to the F1 race. And I had never seen cars drive in the rain, race cars drive in the rain before. Because like I said, I've watched NASCAR all two, three years prior of my early, my, my very young life at the time. So this was that was new to me. And seeing the rooster tails off the rear of those cars and hearing V10 engines was equally cool but so I, it's an experience i'll never forget but i'll also never forget saturday because that that was just crazy it, it i got there i got to the race i showed up to the race at, at uh i showed up to the racetrack at just around 10 30 to 11 so I, i'm not a morning person if you know me i'm not a morning person whatsoever uh i i do not like to get up early so me getting up at like eight and not between eight and nine in the morning was interesting and then driving to uh to the track which is only about less than 30 from where i am it's about a 30 minute drive less than that um but anyway uh it was just crazy because you got there and it was like 85 degrees and it was hot and it was humid and it was but it was sunny it was sunny and partly cloudy and then the closer and closer it got to race time 
the darker and darker the skies got. Man, it was wild. They started the Indy Lights race, and they actually had to postpone the Indy Lights race. They had to, they they suspended the Indy Lights race like right before halfway because of of lightning, and then they didn't finish it until after the Grand Prix had concluded, which was even more wild because it was basically a wet start too, and it was still raining. It's yeah. just. In the same conditions, it's just there was no lightning in the area. We were really, 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 really lucky that we did not have lightning after that initial delay. We were so, so, so lucky because it was thundering like when we had that lightning delay. And it was for sure, I was like, for sure it's going to be tough. Especially when I was looking at the radar, how much rain was coming our way. I was like, if there's more lightning in the area... Boom! This race is getting postponed. There's no way it's going to get in today because it's just going to keep that 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 clock is just going to keep resetting. It's a 30 minute clock every time there's a lightning strike within an eight mile radius. Yeah. And every time that every time a lightning struck, it was going to hit. So I was really worried about that. But then when we finally got to race time, which by the way I want to say something too, right? Uh, first about before this is uh the person who played the national anthem. Yeah. They played their national anthem on the soprano sax, and I want you, I want everybody to know that that guy's name is Rob Dixon. And when I was a freshman at IUPUI, my first year of college, I joined a small jazz combo. It was me playing trumpet. It was another kid on uh, alto saxophone. I'm still friends with him on Facebook, so I know him. I keep track, keep in touch with him a little bit. And then we had another kid that played guitar, and then we had a drummer. So it was the four of us, basically. We were the main guys playing in this in this small combo. So we had a drummer, a guitar players, alto sax, tenor sax, and and then me, I'm playing trumpet. And uh Rob Dixon led that that jazz combo. So I got to spend a lot of time with Rob Dixon uh when I was a freshman in college at IUPUI. And I got to know him. He plays at uh, the jazz kitchen in Indianapolis, if you've ever been here. Uh, he plays at the Jazz Kitchen all the time. He's, I think he's, I think he's plays with the dedicated group. I'm not sure what their name is, but if you ever want to check out Rob Dixon, he's a great guy. And it was really, really cool when I'm, I'm standing up in the media center because I was trying to I'm typing this stuff and I'm getting ready. I'm, I'm trying to just type this stuff out before the national anthem starts because everybody stands in there and, and and everything, and I didn't want to look like a jerk. So um, I'm typing this out, and all of a sudden they say, uh, "Mr. Rob Dixon," and I'm like. Wait a minute, that name's familiar. And I look up, and I'm like, "That's him. That's Rob. Holy cow! Look at it. He's playing the national anthem at the track." Um, and, and I immediately, I after after it was done, I immediately texted my mom, and I was like, "Dude, that was Rob Dixon." Um, so that was that was another really cool thing that happened. Um, but overall, it was it was an interesting race. And one of the things that was talked about afterwards was the was the visibility of this race because we talked about how much rain we saw in this GMR Grand Prix and the visibility was crazy because this was the first IndyCar race under race conditions with the aero screen. And there were several things that were said about it. Connor Daly was the one I wrote a story about Connor Daly. You can read it on IndyStar.com where he talks about this. And um, he basically says that the water hit the aero screen and it didn't move to the sides like you would have expected it. It stayed basically in the middle of the screen. And Simon Pagano and Will Power both echoed the belief that there needs to be some kind of windshield wiper in the future for rain races. And this would be kind of crazy. We'd probably put the windshield wiper right at the top of the halo, and then it would probably have it wipe the middle area of, of the 
uh, of the arrow screen, which is where Daly and, and Paginot and Power were all saying that uh, it was it was the hardest to see. It was right in the middle there. You know, they could see out the sides, but right in the middle, it was really weird because I guess it's like the rain is just stopping and staying there and not moving. Which is you wild. know, and at, it, it's just it's just building up and building up and 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 Connor was saying you know he expected it to to move to the side as he was on the straightaways but it wasn't like it didn't matter how fast he was going the water would just not move from the center arrow screen um so that's something that really made it so we talked about in the upshot downshot we talked about how crazy the tires were we talked about how crazy the conditions were but now we're bringing visibility into all of that you know, this just seems like one of the most treacherous races ever, and yet it was one of the most competitive Indy GPs we've ever seen. I mean, there are a ton of drivers. The top five, I think, most of the top five started like 20th or worst. Well, uh... Pagano, Pagano gained 18 spots. Well, Power was on pole, Connor... Started fourth. I can't remember where Pagino and her to start. Uh, let me pull up the Nathan Brown tweet because he he tweeted the the stats here. Here we go. Pagino was up eighteen spots. Marcus Erickson was up fourteen. Colton Herta came uh, came up thirteen spots. David Malukas was up twelve spots. Scott Dixon was up eleven spots. Tatiana Calderon was up ten spots. Okay. So basically. Herta was the highest starting guy in this group. He started 14th. Everyone else started 18th or worse. And they all were up at least 10 spots. Wow. So a lot of guys, there were a lot of on-track passes. It wasn't like just because we, we talked about how many guys were getting screwed by the, by the caution flags. And so this were, these were on-track passes. These were guys moving up on track. Uh, and that's what's really, really interesting to me, just how competitive this race was, because rain is the great equalizer. The guys who can race in the rain do the best, and the guys who can't, they they don't do well. And you, you really, you'll, you see these guys, Herta had that insane save. That was, an most, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in an IndyCar. That dude drifted an IndyCar. I mean, I think the reaction from the booth was spot on. I mean, like, I didn't see it initially because I was watching. Uh, gosh, who's was that? Pato who was leading at that time? Yes, Pato yeah. Award was leading. I was watching Pato, and when I saw the replay, I'm like, "Whoa, that was wild!" I mean that that right there, that would be an arc of the Reese's move of the race right there. <laughs> I mean that was holy I, cow! Oh my gosh! And he was doing that on slick tires, uh, yes. basically. Less than 10 laps in after the start was already declared a wet race. Yeah. Which is, it, it, it Herta basically won that race by going to Slicks first. That's how he won the race, being the first guy in Slicks. And I think being a little ballsy with his moves, too. Well, that helped. And, and not actually, I mean, being, I, I can't believe this. Colton Herta can have a race completely controlled in the dry and throw it away. But then he can control the craziest and most chaotic race on the planet that we've seen in probably the last 10 years in IndyCar. And the dude, it's a Sunday drive for him. Like, the the, the duality of Colton Herta is incredible. Yeah. Like, he, he, he finds and goes over the limit during, dry, uh, dur- during a dry race, but he finds and just stays on the limit in a wet race and manages to just drive away... 
I, I heard some dude on Twitter comparing him to Senna in the rain at Monaco. And I was like, dude, you might be making a lot of people mad, but I can't disagree with you. I need to see more rain races from Herta, but that, that it's a start. It's a start. I, I could I not mean, argue. It, yeah. And I'll, I'll say this about the, the aero screen and the, and the windshield wipers. I do think it's, you know, these are things you maybe should have flushed out before, but you would also think, I would not have expected the rain to just sit there. No, either. I feel like, like that Connor against... Daly literally said it was something yeah. he had never experienced before in his life. I would not. Ex- I, w- I don't know how he, I would even ask that question in high school to my physics teacher. Like, how does this work? I mean, I, I don't. I don't know how I could phrase that without look, making myself look like an idiot. So I, you know, it's just to go to the drawing board, figure it out. Uh, the, it's going to be interesting because. Obviously, the aero screen is curved, and how you're going to get a windshield wiper to work properly on that is going to be a a little bit more of a challenge. But they can figure it out. I'm because- sure they can. But that that was the the IMS the GMR Grand Prix. Um, they also had a uh, road to Indy was there as well. Uh, the Indy Lights races were won by Daniel Frost, which was actually great. That first Indy Lights race was actually pretty crazy. Um, and then race two was won by Linus Lundquist, which was like I said, suspended before a halfway and then completed after the Grand Prix. Uh, then Indy Pro 2000 was there. Race one was won by Salvador de Alba. Race two was won by Reese Gold. And race three was won by Louis Foster. USF 2000 was swept. All three races were won by Alex Quinn, who, man, if you've seen Alex Quinn race before, like I have in Europe, this is not surprising. Absolutely, the fact that he's come over here to him, to the United States is surprising, but he's absolutely kicking butt right over here right now. So I'm not surprised by that. Um, the Arkham Menard series was at Kansas. Interesting things happened. <laughs> um, for an Arca race, Billy Venturini opened his mouth and just made it probably one of the most talked about Arca races of the season <laughs> because Drew Dollar wrecked his guy. Okay, I'll tell you this. Here's what happened. So Billy Venturini goes on on tv and he gives this enheightened passionate speech about how drew dollar is this great kid but he's not cut out for being a race car driver because he keeps quote-unquote killing his cars and he kills his cars when he's not even driving for him either and he said david gilliland punched him in the face at bristol which i believe happened i don't disbelieve it i'll say that but he said that it happened and then this morning monday afternoon not not this morning but monday afternoon drew dollar Pulls up Billy Venturini's racing reference stats yeah. and says, it took you too long to figure out that you shouldn't have been a driver either or something like that. And I was just like, holy cow. <laughs> holy cow. I've never seen. And then, Josh, we were talking about this. It took him a whole 30, uh, 30 plus minutes probably from hitting send tweet on this 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 tweet. Calling yeah. out Billy Venture. By the way, did you notice he tagged him in the tweet? I, did. I mean, that was savage on his part. Absolute um, savage. Absolute savage. But it took him a th- whole 30-plus minutes to remove his pinned tweet at the top of his profile from 2020 where he was celebrating and thanking Venturini Motorsports for helping him get his get a victory. Um, I mean, first off, Fox, why'd you put a live interview in front of Billy Venturini? The same reason you put a live interview in front of an angry Tony Stewart, because you could play it back for for years. You're right, but 
also Tony Stewart's. I think I, I don't know. I think there's a reason we got that they one. Put a live hot mic on Bob Keselowski after Carl Edwards wrecked him at Gateway. I don't remember him. Same cu- deal. Did he cuss though? No, but he said he wasn't going to kill my boy. Yeah. Anyways, I'm sick and tired of this. I'll get my own fire suit on and handle this. That's what he said. Maybe they weren't concerned with the ninety thousand people who are watching that race. Um, so I don't know. Ninety thousand people watching that race. You think? I had no idea. I was taking a shot in the dark. A a, a nationwide race in two thousand and nine that was dominated between. No, 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 no. no, no. I'm talking about the Arca. Oh, the Arca race. Yeah. Well, you got to make the Arca race somehow interesting, and this was a good, great way to get the Arca race trending on social media, and it worked. It it did work. All I know is that um, this championship is going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be very interesting. You, like, gotta stay out of trouble, Corey Heim. Otherwise, you're going to get beat. Um, but yeah, and, I, and nobody is safe from Drew Dollar. Uh, that and also Drew, you're pointing out a guy when Arca was like uber competitive. Too, by the way, he pointed out an era where Arca was actually a legitimate series amongst itself, not just a, as we kind of were pointing out earlier. Rich a, kids and, and, and uh, retired Sunday yeah. drivers. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I don't and know. then usually that one guy that's actually there as a grassroots effort, and he has a lot of talent, but he doesn't exactly have the car behind him. Or the money. You know, yeah. Or the money. Yeah. But he's there. He's there running. Right in between. He's not as fast as the rich guys, but he's faster than the old guys. Yeah. He's in his own little limbo of purgatory. I don't know what to say. But Nick Sanchez actually won the race. And we mentioned that he's going to go earlier in the show when we're talking about the news. He's going to go race for BJ McLeod in the Xfinity Series this year. So good for him. Uh, The Camping World Truck Series race was won by Zane Smith. And finally, the NASCAR Cup Series race at Kansas was won by Kurt Busch. That makes Kurt Busch uh, now having won with five different teams, four different manufacturers, and uh, six numbers in Cup. So he it joins Casey Kane as being one of the drivers that has won in a Dodge, a Toyota, a Chevrolet, and a Ford, um, which is I think can only be said by Kurt now and Casey and maybe one couple other drivers maybe. I feel like that's it. Um I really feel like that. I would go on a bet to say that's it. Probably. I want to say, though, that this was, despite the fact that it might not have been attended well, I think you'll see a bigger attendance boost in, in, in the fall, mainly like because of how great good. this race The racing was. was good. This was the greatest Kansas race I can remember in a decade. Oh, this is, this is easily the best Kansas race since 2014. Uh, hands down. Oh, that was a Oh, are you only saying that too because Jeff Gordon won? No, I feel like both races in Kansas that year were good. 13 was good too. We, I, well, that was the fourth 14. Since, since Kansas repaved and added the progressive banking, it has easily been one of the best racetracks. And we were talking about does it deserve two dates? Does it deserve? Well, it's one of the best mile and a halfs we have on the track right now. And look at the racing it produced. The restarts were crazy. The restarts were crazy, and we didn't think that was going to happen with this next-gen car. There were so many self-spins. It was it was refreshing to see that. Not refreshing how long it takes to help get the cars rolling, but it was refreshing to see just how hard these cars are to drive on mile-and-a-halves again. Yeah. 
Um, and the duel between Kurt Busch and Kyle Larson was incredible. I just want uh, to say also Kyle Bowers all throughout the race. I mean, the Bubba Wallace, I mean, they were talking about Bubba, his, his pit crew. I Let saw on Twitter, down. someone said that his pit crew should be called the ice cream machine. <laughs> Ooh, that's cold. That's but cold. again, the fact that he passed so many cars. All day. Like, I think I saw a graphic that said Bubba Wallace passed more cars than anyone else on Sunday by a large margin. Well, and he still had, hiked out a top 10. And well, he was saying earlier it was supposed to be a top cars 10. at one point. And I'm like, holy cow. I know. I guess spit it to the back. Um, I did want to say, Kyle Larson, thank you for calling, for like getting on there and like, did, did the 45 just put us in the wall? No, he didn't. Thank you. For just stating the record the way it is. I, I love, too, how someone was pointing out um, they remember, and I remember this, too. This was one of my favorite Darlington races, too. It was the 2008 Darlington race where Kyle Busch basically realized you could hit the wall as many times as you wanted, and it really wouldn't hurt the aerodynamics of the race car. And he ended up winning the race while having the entire right side of the car basically completely scraped off. And Kyle Larson was basically doing the same thing. I don't know how many times Kyle Larson hit the wall. I don't know how and he, he just kept going and he just kept maintaining pace. And it was like, how is he doing this? I don't know how he didn't break a toe link where everyone else would just tap the wall. How did he not cut down a tire? How did he not cut the, down the to- break the toe link? How did he not ruin the toe of the car? Period. It's just wow. Yeah, that 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 car was pretty amazing. That car was pretty amazing. Good rate. I mean, it was a good look, good race to Kansas. Uh, I think it would have been more fun if it was under the lights on Saturday night, but maybe. I I don't know. Probably. I digress. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good race. All right. Who's your outstanding performance for the week, Josh? I'm giving mine to simply Toyota in the Cup Series. They've been struggling this year for just consistency and getting them all, all six of their cars up there running. And, uh, Toyota. Toyota gets my. I can't give it to one driver. Kurt obviously was going to win this year. It wasn't a matter of if it win. Bubba looked darn good there too. I mean, what what could have been if he was like on the first two rows on a restart, three rows on a restart? Could he maybe it's really what race? could have been if his crew didn't yeah. completely drop the ball? I mean, the dude probably exactly. would have easily had a top five. Exactly. So uh, you know, just disappointed on that side, but but good, good, good. Good for Toyota. I think they they had they showed speed, which is good. You don't want to see someone struggling like that. Watch out for Charlotte, though. We'll see what they do with Charlotte. That'll be the test. All right. Um, I if you read my Twitter, then I think you have a great, pretty good idea of where I'm going with this. Uh, but I'm 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 legitimately giving mine to Tatiana Calderon. Um, that was her best. The Indianapolis Grand Prix, the GMR Grand Prix. That was her best single seater race I think I've seen since she was in GP3. Hands down. Hands down. I I was incredibly impressed with the pace that she showed in practice. Now keep in mind, you know, I understand Tatiana's not the greatest driver. And I think I know that. You know that. We all know that. We don't need to make that a big deal. But I always it's always good to see drivers have good confidence building races. Uh, and that was a good confidence building race for Tati. And I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because, like I said, uh, she outpaced Kellett and Johnson in practice and in qualifying. Um, she was, and in the race, she had, I remember I was watching this in the race, she got, she had a very conservative start, 
and it only took her about one lap to catch and pass Jimmy Johnson, despite basically giving him about a full second advantage on the start. It only took her a lap to catch and pass Jimmy, and then as soon as she passed Jimmy, she just didn't stop passing people. That was the most cars I'd seen her pass in a long time. Uh, on merit, on act- actual merit, where she hunted down, caught, and passed cars. And now this is this is something I also want to talk about when I regard when I talk about this is this is not me like picking on other drivers or something. People talk about midfield battles at, at the front battles. If you're not paying attention to the bottom five in IndyCar, you're missing out because while yeah, you can watch the midfield and you can watch the, you know, the top 10 and those guys have really, really strong and fun battles. Devlin De Francesco, Kyle Kirkwood, Dalton Kellett, Jimmy Johnson, and Taltiana Calderon, all five of those drivers are also having incredibly fun and close battles as well. And even though they're all maybe collectively five tenths maybe to a full uh, second off of the rest of the field, they're all close together within themselves, you know, and they're always having these great battles that TV is never really going to show. Sadly, but they're always fighting together and to see how those points sway week in and week out is really, really fun. And, and this was a situation where Tatiana Calderon finished better than basically everybody else in that situation. She was the best bottom five car of all of them. And here's the thing, too. She finished 15th. She gained 10 spots total, and she was on pace. She was running in the top 10. She stayed out during pit cycles and was able to lead a lap, and she was basically on pace for a top 10 finish until she got punted in turns 3 and 4 on one of the restarts, and it dropped her back to, like, 16th or 17th, and she was able to fight her way back up to to, uh, 15th. But overall, it was a very impressive race from her, and I I was— I, I don't think she was getting enough credit for just how good good of a race it was. I mean, if you compare it to her Super Formula career and her, form, her Formula 2 career, this was her best performance in a single-seater. She's, has, she's had great performances in sports cars, but as a single-seater driver, this was one of the best, especially in a race where Kellett was doing fairly well until he crashed, Kirk was, was doing really well until he crashed, and Johnson was running his first ever rain race, which he said, and he ended up actually finishing 22nd, which was two spots better than his uh, previous race at at, Indian, at the Indianapolis Grand Prix, or the GMR Grand Prix, the, the May race. Two spots better. He finished 19th in the big machine cooler spike Grand Prix with the NASCAR weekend. But there were more cars entered in the GMR Grand Prix last year and in this, this re- weekend's race. So I think him actually moving up comparatively, is actually a good positive sign for Jimmy. And I want to say this before we move on, because I want to say something about Jimmy. I'm making this note now. It is Tuesday morning at 2 a.m., May 17, 2020. And I'm going to say this right now. Jimmy Johnson is going to be a force to be reckoned with all month, the rest of the month. And I'll tell you why. Uh, Jimmy Johnson has the 500-mile experience that you need in order to be patient and win an Indy 500 or run well in an Indy 500. Jimmy Johnson has three Brickyard 400s, putting him on a very exclusive list as multi-time winners at the Indianapolis. Four, you're right, he was four, excuse me. When did he get his fourth one? Back to back. 12 and 
Uh, 08 and 09, I think. 08, 09, and then 12. What's the fourth? Oh, 06, 06, 06. Shoot, you're right. He's a four-time... Sorry, sorry, you're right. 06, 06, sorry. So he's a four-time Brickyard winner. He's on a very, very exclusive list of four-time winners at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He's on a very exclusive list of multi-time winners at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This guy knows how to run 400 miles of the Indianapolis Oval. He's going to be fine. And I'll tell you what else is going to happen is he's going to crash during practice. Everybody crashes. At Every rookie, at him, Grosjean's going to crash, I'm sure. Everybody is going to crash. Everybody crash. Jimmy Johnson's going to crash. You want to know what he's, what's going to happen is when he crashes is he's going to know what the limit of the car is. As soon as he crashes, he's going to know exactly what the limit of the car is. Because that's what happened to Kurt Busch in 2014. As soon as Kurt Busch crashed, he said he found out the limit of the car. And he knew how far he could push that Indy car. And after that, it was just all down to instinct and experience. Same thing's going to happen to Jimmy Johnson. I don't know if he's going to win the race, but I think he's going to do very well. And everybody's going to be like, man, Jimmy's great. I don't know how well he's going to qualify because he didn't qualify super great at Texas. But I think during the race, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. And I wanted to make that prediction. Because Mario Andretti is saying the exact same thing. And people are kind of being like, ah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Nah. The guy has multiple Daytona 500s as well, which means he knows how to win a prestigious 500-mile race that requires lots of drafting. He's also, yeah. Yeah. Requires lots of drafting, which is something he'll be doing a lot of on May 29th. Really and truthfully... He's got, and here's the other thing too: is he only had a couple of hours to prepare for the race at Texas. He's got a whole week and then some to prepare for the Indianapolis 500. Like I said, once he crashes and figures out the limit, because it's going to happen, he's going to crash. Once he fig- crashes and figures out the limit, the rest of the field better work, look out because then you're going to see the Jimmy Johnson that dominated NASCAR for de- a decade, a solid decade. Uh. I, I just wanted to say that. Josh, you can move on to your featured week in racing because I, I had to call the shot. I had to. I've been thinking, I've been thinking about that all week. I was like, dude, Jim Jam, I'm looking forward to watching old Jim Jam run to 500 because this is going to be the coolest thing he's going to do, and it's going to be the coolest thing that us fans are going to do because it's going to be the first time, really, in the history of the Indianapolis 500 that a four-time race winner is going to be in the, in the series along with a supercars champion, and a seven-time NASCAR champion. Plus, Scott Dixon being a six-time series champion. This might be, along with, oh, Juan Montoya and all these other legends that are going to be in the race, might be one of the most competitive and deep, rich fields the Indianapolis 500 has ever seen. Yeah, I I, I can't argue with that. And... uh... We'll talk more about that later for sure. I do think Jimmy's going to have a great month of May. I can't argue with anything you said there. But I'm going to go ahead and jump right into this here because we've eclipsed two hours here. Rollers feature week in racing, May 10th through the 16th here. We'll start with May 10th. And on that day in 2014, the first IndyCar Grand Prix of Indianapolis was held. Now the GMR Grand Prix. This race is remembered for two things. First, the race was a standing start, and when pole, uh, pole sitter... Sebastian Savage's car stalled, cars scattered around him, but Carlos Munoz smashed into his gearbox, followed by Mikhail Lotion. 
Secondly, James Hinchcliffe was knocked unconscious when a piece of debris struck his helmet. He would retire from the race on lap 56, but would make a full recovery and would race that, that season's Indianapolis 500 weeks later. Yeah, EJ Vizo ended up practicing the car all the way until I think the Friday after that was. And yeah, I, yeah. I know because he had he had a bad concussion from that. Yeah, I remember which. So it was pretty surprising how quickly he was cleared to get back into the race car after the concussion. Probably wasn't 100 percent ready. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. I was pretty sure if Vizo was going to run the 500 until suddenly they were like, Hinch has been cleared. And I was like, OK. Yeah, I was like, OK, same thing. I'm not sure about that. But like I said, you make a full recovery. Quote. Uh, Simon Pagano won the race driving for Schmidt, Peterson, Hamilton in the number 77. Ryan Hunter Ray was second, and Elio Castro Nevis was third. On May 11th, 1986, the NASCAR All-Star Race, then the Winston, and the Atlanta Invitational were held at Atlanta International Raceway, now Atlanta Motor Speedway. The Atlanta Invitational was held for drivers who didn't meet the requirements to participate in the Winston. 14 drivers raced, and Benny Parsons won the 100-lap race. Tim Richmond was second, Bobby Hillen Jr. was third, Lake Speed fourth, and Joe Rutman was fifth. Parsons, the par- Parsons win gave him eligibility to run in the 1987 Winston. Now, Bill Elliott won the Winston that season. It was 83 laps long, and Dale Earnhardt finished second, followed by Harry Gant, Daryl Waltrip, Carol Yarbrough, Neil Bonnet, Jeff Bodine, Ricky Rudd, Terry Labonte, and finishing 10th and last in that race was Greg Sachs. Now, that was the only time the All-Star race up until Bristol in 2020 uh, that the All-Star race or the Winston was held outside of Charlotte. So, 86 there. Uh, Denny Hamlin scored his first of five wins so far in the Xfinity Series at Darlington on May 12, 2006. When he won the Diamond Hill Plywood 200, he led 30 laps in the number 20 Rockwell Automation Chevrolet. What a great paint scheme. Uh, for Joe Gibbs Racing, it was his second career win. Uh, the first was at Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez earlier that season. Matt Kenseth finished second. Jamie McMurray was third in a Rusty Walsh Incorporated Dodge. Mark Martin fourth and Greg Biffle was fifth. Roush had a total of six cars in this race. The aforementioned Kenseth Martin and Biffle, along with Carl Edwards in 8th, Todd Kluever in 32nd, and Danny O'Quinn in 38th. The 6th race in the inaugural Camping World Truck Series season was at Evergreen Speedway in Washington on May 13, 1995. The then NASCAR Super Truck Series presented by Craftsman, always fun to say that, had been at had been to Phoenix, Tucson, Saugus, Mesa Marin, and Port in the Portland Oval, which no longer exists. Uh, on this day, though, Ron Hornaday scored his third win of the season. Yes, <laughs> in six races in the inaugural season, he already has three after six. Uh, the others were at Tucson and Mesa Marin. He drove the number sixteen Papa John's Pizza Chevrolet CK for Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, leading one hundred and forty-three of one hundred and fifty laps. Joe Rutman was second, Butch Miller third, Mike Skinner fourth, and Mike Bliss fifth. 29 trucks took the green flag that day, and 25 finished. Kyle Busch scored his first of 102 NASCAR Xfinity Series victories. 
at Richmond Raceway on May 14, 2004. He dominated, leading 236 of 250 laps. In his number five, Lowe's Pella, Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, Greg Biffle finished second, then Kevin Harvick, Bobby Hamilton Jr., and Jason Keller in fifth. Jay Robinson had two cars sponsored by Yahoo in that race. The number 28 of Mark Green retired after 12 laps with reportedly transmission issues. Then the number 39 of Andy Ponstein finished 30th. The race had 11 cautions for 69 laps and took just over 2 hours and 12 minutes to finish. And Bush left with a 15-point lead uh, in the points over our eventual 2004 champion Martin Truex Jr. Oh, how things change. Yep. Not only does this track not exist anymore, but the series is completely different. In 1977, the NASCAR Winston West uh, series consisted of 20 races, uh, including two stops at Ontario Motor Speedway. One was a combination race with the Winston Cup series in November. But before that, the series made a stop in the Inland Empire two-and-a-half-mile rectangular oval Indianapolis copy on May 15th. A total of 37 cars started the race, uh, but the 100-lap race was filled with attrition. Only 15 were running at the end that saw Gary Johnson win. Of the 37 cars, 32 were Chevrolet. Third-place finisher Gary Matthews was in the Plymouth. 14th-place George Spink was in a Pontiac, with sponsorship coming from Toyota of Riverside. Thought that was a little interesting. 18th was Bill Osborne in a Ford. Pete Torres was also in a Ford. He finished 21st. And in 36th was John Denning, uh, who drove the third and final Ford in that race. I've said multiple times on this show how much I wish I could live in the reality where Ontario still exists today. Spoiler alert, we may have a let's make a schedule where that comes to reality. So yeah. Okay. I'm 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 intrigued. He's teasing that there for anyone who really likes to live in a fantasy schedule world. Uh at the first race for the truck series at Mansfield Motorsports Park, Jack Sprague piloted his number 16 Chevy truck Chevrolet Silverado to victory after leading 139 of 252 laps that included a green-white checkered finish. Uh, it was Sprague's 24th win in the trucks and, ironically, his first uh, since his last victory in the number 24 when he drove for Hendrick Motorsports last in 2001. Dennis Setzer finished second, Terry Cook third, Bobby Hamilton was fourth, and Mark McFarland was fifth. 36, 36 trucks started, and a total of 11 trucks failed to qualify. David Reagan was among them. Sprague uh, would win four more races in his career, uh, once, one more with uh, the 16, and then three with Jeff Weiler. So, that was Roller's Future Week in Racing. Rob, take it away. Tell us what's in the windshield. Yeah, we've got a big, another big weekend of racing. All right, the Arkham Menard Series is off for only one week as it will return to Charlotte Motor Speedway on May 28th. IMSA's next race will be at Detroit Belle Isle on June 4th. Formula E is also off until June 4th until the Jakarta E Prix. But Formula One is back in Spain as uh, we're uh, this weekend before we go to Monaco for another race, miss. 
Supercars is back this weekend at Winton Motor Raceway. I said it at the beginning of the show that that's the first time they've run at Winton Motor Raceway since 2019. So it's been a very, very long time. Supposed to run there last year, but then got canceled basically at the 11th hour, unfortunately. And it's a bummer. But hey, we're back. We're getting to go back there. Um, IndyCar teams have begun their preparation for the Indianapolis 500. So we've got practice starting Tuesday this week and going all the way throughout Friday. And then we'll have uh, qualifying on Saturday and Sunday, set the field for the 106th Indianapolis 500. Uh, then NASCAR is in Texas for the Texas Motor at Texas Motor Speedway for points races for the truck in the Xfinity Series, while the All-Star, the all non-points All-Star race, will be for the Cup Series on Saturday night. That is on Saturday night, right? Uh, no, it's on Sunday. It's on Sunday? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? I, I don't know. I didn't make the schedule. Is it really on Sunday, John? It's on Sunday. I, I, but why? Why? I don't know. I, I don't know. The All-Star Race is supposed to be... Go ask Fox. The All-Star Race is supposed to be, like, night... It's Saturday it, it, night. It, it's a Sunday night race, if it makes you feel any better. It doesn't matter if it's on Sunday night. Sunday night, people have to work, work in the morning. Sunday night football. Oh, yeah, okay. It's not football. It really is on Sunday. Yeah. It's. I work for the company. I know. I know when the race is. Oh. oh, Fox, what will we do? What are we gonna do with you, Fox? Oh, here's. A, I did want to say one little rant thing. I want to say real quick. Go ahead and rant. We're already yeah. over anyway. Yeah, we're already over. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep it. Try and keep short here. That whole segment in the pre-race with Andy Reid and whatever his name is for the Kansas City Chiefs was way too long and awkward. That should be a two-minute hit at most. And Fox drug that thing out for what seemed like 15 minutes. God, I'm so glad I watched the IMSA race instead of pre-race. That pre-race, it was Andy. It, Andy Reid had like a couple good question answers. And it, but again, it just drug on and on and on. And Chris Myers like treated it like it was a football. He kept trying to reference football and NASCAR. I'm like, if you don't pay attention to NASCAR fully, you're not gonna get. The, you're not gonna be able to make a comparison. Who? What, what kind of race car driver do you think Patrick Mahomes would be? I don't know. It was stupid. It was. It was, it was dumb. Too long. These things need to be two minute quick hits. Bye. Hi and bye. Gone. See ya. All right. I'm saying it again. I'm saying it here. If you're not, if our, our TV executives are not watching how Sky Sports handles F1, they're missing out. Done. Just, just, just go back to race day when it was on speed, and have a like a stage on the track uh, at the track that fans can see and bring drivers there and have pit reporters from the garages getting pre-race stories before everything why is this so hard i'm whining before the end of the show all right that's it for the show i before i i i'm i'm just gonna have a tantrum here in a little bit thank you so much for listening to us uh we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to our show we really appreciate the support every single week from you guys please be sure to follow the show on twitter it's at robin roller spelled just as it sounds uh, we will post when this, when every new show goes live, and then you can follow our uh, personal Twitters. That's mine uh, is at rpeters33. That's r p e e t e r s33. Josh can be found at roller underscore zero one. 
R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. We, we are more than happy to interact with our fans, more than happy to uh, talk to you guys about what's going on in the world of racing and hear your opinions and share ours. So again, thank you so much for listening. Um, we hope that you are you come back and, and listen again um, and that our, our show entertained you. So for Josh Roller, my name is Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Have a great week, everybody, and enjoy the rest of your month of May, wherever you may be, and however you may be enjoying it. Just make sure that uh, however you're doing it, you're enjoying it, and you're having a good time. So thank you guys, everybody, for listening, and we will see you guys next week.